You're listening to Proropod. Welcome as we, Portia the lifelong fan and Amanda the first time reader, discover the books of Agatha Christie. We are sisters who live on opposite ends of the U.S. doing a quarantine project and who love to be soothed by British murder mysteries. In this shithole of a moment in history, it's nice to have Poirot or Miss Marple solve it all. Well, hello, after a two-month break. Um, so, uh, since we last recorded, lots has happened. I mean... Well, we've, we, put the, we put the episodes live. Right, so they're out there. So now we know... Um, and, uh, we've had some people listening and, but we're still in lockdown and it's still quarantine time. So, you know, um, we're ready to get back to, to Miss Marple or to, to Miss Marple for the first time. So today's episode is murder at the Vicarage, which is the very first Miss Marple mystery. It's so funny to think about how people associate Miss Marple with Agatha Christie. And we've recorded, what, 15 episodes? And we just now get to Miss Marple. Yeah. Um, But what's interesting, and I find, going back again to reread it right before recording, you know, you realize, like, what a con... Like, it almost feels like she was written in response to what was unlikable to whoever whether it was to Agatha Christie herself or to the audience about Praro or she like, so she's totally oh, like, yeah. you know, sort of self-effacing and sort of like, I'm very stupid and I don't know how to say this well, and I'm probably wrong, but this is what I'm thinking, you know, like her, just her delivery there. They have very similar problem solving styles. That's true. You know, like the, her, her deduction is very similar to the way that Praro does it, but her delivery is so soft Right, and so anti-arrogant and anti, yeah. But, and just, you know. But she's a spinster, as is Poirot is a bachelor. That's so weird, because bachelor sounds young and spinster sounds old. But whatever, neither of them ever got married or had children. Yay, misogyny! So, uh, <laughs> yeah. But for Agatha Christie, why is it that she wanted the... Uh, uh, her detectives were like didn't have relationships or children because Agatha it's Christie true. did she was on her second marriage she had a child like you're right that's interesting they were always uh, singletons older and, singletons and we definitely uh, discussed and the fan I was talking about earlier thought uh, agreed with us that the whole pro sounds like a hairdresser everyone assumes he a hairdresser um, he also thought it was code for he must seem gay to people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so spinster, I always wondered about that because there's a group of women and they hang out all the time and they never got married. Are they also gay? Like Nothing seemed gay about this at all. They just seemed <laughs> like, and you know, I'm looking for gay wherever I can find it, but I didn't find anything gay. I was just like, these are old ladies who all hate each other and everyone else. Like there was a together. bunch of unmarried old ladies. It was like, yeah, not to use the word spinster, but there was a lot of who are identified as spinsters. And I didn't find any uh, homoeroticism or spinster eroticism at all. I was just right. like, nope. 
<laughs> so fair, fair. That's true. I mean, I mean, I, I wish I had. I wish that, like, you know, Miss Marple and and you know Miss uh one of the other ones. Who was the the mean one? Miss Price Ridley. Like, if Miss Marple and Miss Price Ridley had of having a secret affair, I would have loved that. But I didn't. I didn't read well, any of that into it. Well, here's the thing: if they had, they would have probably been much happier people. Right. There wouldn't be so much. They wouldn't have to spy on the neighbors so much because they'd have stuff going on inside. Right. All right. So let's set up the plot. So you do the you do the setting. It was written in 1930. Right. Agatha Christie was 40 years old. Um, it was set in a small town that I. Think and wait, and you were saying that that she her child was 11. Yeah, Agatha Christie's child was 11. Yeah. And was she in her first marriage or second marriage? She was in her second marriage, like three she- years. Okay. Three years okay. or something into her second marriage. So, um, and so she has this small town that I think she referenced in one earlier book, St. Mary Mead, um, but she's created this town. It's not a real one. And apparently it's a small town where everybody knows each other. And there's one church and they all like, there's a map. I know that you listen to them, but there's a map in the book. And they show how close all the houses are. And it's like, seriously, you guys are all just right on top of each other. Like, it's seriously such a small town. And the there's a guy who's killed and everybody hates him. And it's written, so the narrator is the vicar. Yeah. And the, and, and the, and the person is found. So, like, sometimes we have a, a mixed narrator... Uh, or like a you know a third person narrator, but this one is from a perspective. It's always from the perspective of the of the okay. vicar, and the and the murder takes place at the vicarage, right in his office. And, and it, he, yeah, this is the guy who dies is Colonel Lucius. Prothero. How do you say Prothero? Yeah, um, Lucius Harry Potter name. Just noting that. Mm-hmm. Although Which, it depends, I feel like depending on who you listen to. It's Lucius or Lucius. I don't Ooh. know which one is correct. Lucius, Lucius. Ooh, I'd have to think Because I about... told you I did the, audio, the Harry Potter audio books. And I think that the narrator of those is a different than in the movies. So then my brain scrambles. And I, I, don't, I don't speak British, so I don't know. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. So that's an aside. So yeah, so this dude dies. And, and the victor had just been saying the day before that it would be a great thing if he died. Because he's a, an ass. And so literally, it, spoiler alert, as usual, we're going to give away the uh, plot of a book that's 70 years old. Um, but 70, right? No, 90, 90, 90 years old. Hello. Um, <laughs> math. Maths. Um, anyway, uh, like the people who did it were exactly who you would expect. His wife, who's much younger than him, and the man she was sleeping with. Um, but since everyone in the town wanted to kill this guy, had a motive anyway to kill this guy, um, then there's just a whole bunch of fuss and thrown in the way of like trying to confuse us. But it gets back to, it was back to his young wife and her lover, which it's uh, so that, but, but, the rest of the book is determining that everybody else had a more than you thought. Like every time you uncovered a rock, it'd be like, Oh, and also, and you know what, you know what my, when I read it the first time and, you know, I don't know who done it. My hypothesis became that it was 
the vicar's nephew. The 16-year-old, ah. Just because he was kind of like the least unlikely person, and he was really into the investigation, and it seemed like if it was going to be a surprise, he's the one you wouldn't have suspected, and he was really into it. They kept kind of saying, like, and Miss Marple had been like, you never know, like, sometimes young people just do something for fun, just to see what it feels like to kill somebody, or whatever, and so there was a there was a little time when I was looking for the twist, and I thought it was going to be the vicar's nephew because I was like, it can't be the vicar because it being the doctor and the other one we just read, right? It's, um, yeah, unreliable. And he's you know he's the narrator, and like that would be too 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 much of a gimme if it was the the narrator again, and like the doctor the vicar is very similar. So I knew it wasn't that, but I was like, there's going to be a twist. Yeah, so I was thinking it was his nephew, but it wasn't. Like you said, it was his the old guy's young wife and her lover but uh and then so there's a couple of things going on with the plot right so there's first of all everybody in town hates this guy um so the the murderers had to come up with the most convoluted way a how did they even have an affair in this town because everyone knows what everyone is doing all of the time and there's like so many, as we've discussed, unmarried old ladies that are just spying out of their window for you to do anything out of the ordinary. So, yeah. And then, um, so the old ladies spend a whole bunch of time gossiping about this. And Miss Marple is special that she's better than all the other old ladies because she doesn't just gossip. She knows. Yeah. So we should, we should say, so we're first, we're meeting Miss Marple for the first time. And the vicar is the one who introduced her. And he says that he always kind of trusts her. He thinks she's really smart. She's very perceptive and that people tend to dislike her because she's very astute and tends to be right about the things that, you know, the, the kind of gossipy conclusions that she's drawing, she tends to be right. So people tend to dislike her for that reason. So, a third person is is kind of painting her in this way that like she's a little bit wise um, and that she's good at seeing through the bullshit. So that's how we meet her. And then she she always talks kind of she kind of sounds like a judgy old lady. And then she kind of sounds like, oh, I could be wrong about these things. It's interesting right. because they kind because- of her tone kind of changes where it's like if she's sitting around with the old ladies, she's like, oh, don't you know? Like she, she does a lot of innuendos of like what people are doing wrong. And but she definitely of the three, there's three other old ladies um, who are uh, either one of them is a widow, but the other two are also unmarried. Using the word spinster, which is just duh. But um, <laughs> um, she definitely seems like the nicest of them. The rest right. of them seem like they're a lot more judgmental, gossipy, and judgmental, and she's gossipy. Um, and she just figures things out, but she doesn't seem as judgmental. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, she just sort of calls out what she sees, but she doesn't necessarily judge it. She's just like, well, that's that's how life is. So yeah, so there's Mrs. Price Ridley, Miss Hartnell, Amanda, no relation, and Miss <laughs> Weatherby. Well, <laughs> um, Weatherby's another Harry Potter name. You're right, and then and then we have the character of Miss Lestr- Mrs. Lestrange, which is definitely a Harry Potter name. Right. Who's this mysterious woman who's recently moved, who seems like a little bit older, 
but beautiful and mysterious. And like she moved to this tiny village town and no one can figure out why. And so like there's a, every, all of the old biddies think that something going is going on with her, that she, there's something nefarious going on there. Like they, they keep all the old ladies keep are super nosy about her and they they think that she's linked in the murder somehow and they have all these questions and she's very private she won't say anything which just leads to more gossip and then she gets to know the vicar and the vicar doesn't ask her any questions but offers to help and she's like oh maybe you could help me but then um, i'm forlorn i'm quiet and mysterious and forlorn and then she doesn't end up telling him anything. And then it's not till the very end we find out that she's the ex-wife of the guy who was killed. And she's dying and she wanted to spend the end of her time with her daughter. They, and the daughter they... was another suspect because the daughter's a young woman who gets his money and didn't have, you know, had to go through him for money before that. So and, she's another suspect. And she, okay, how do you say her name? Because... It looks like lettuce, as in the food. That's what they say in the audiobook, so... Lettuce. Who the hell names their daughter Lettuce? I think that's a nice name. I mean, not when you think about it like the food, but it sounded nice when the guy, when the narrator was saying it. Lettuce. Well, I suppose with a, with a British accent, it sounds good, but I mean... Everything rather, sounds good with a British accent. I, looking at it, I want to make it like Letitia or something because it's yeah, like just yeah. lettuce. I'm like, um, yeah, no, it definitely was lettuce. At least that's the way he pronounced it. Okay. Um, and Wait, I have a question. Because yes. so one of the subplots is that the the Episcopal version of Deacon. What is he, Doctor? Wait, it's Haas? Haas. Yeah, I think it's Haas. Yeah. So. Mr. Hawes, who's the curate, which I yeah I don't speak de- I don't speak Church of England real well, but it seemed to be like it was kind of like a deacon or something, right? Um, not that I even really know what a deacon is either, but <laughs> <laughs> like, do I know what a deacon is? I don't know. <laughs> but you know people who know what a deacon. I is. know people that know what deacons are. Yeah, and like yeah, our dad's family <laughs> was curate, Episcopal. We should know what a curate is, right? Um, but anyways. So one of the subplots <laughs> is that Mr. Hawes is the curate. He's only been there. When I listened again, it, he's only been there for three weeks. But he's in that time had time to like having acute encephalitis lethargica, which the doctor describes as sleepy sickness. He's gone from being normal, quotes, to being sick and lethargic or weird and, and kind of acting disturbed. And there's been money missing. It turns out that like he was stealing money, but it's like he's only been there three weeks. But they so it seemed like it would be real obvious if the theft started three weeks ago. Fair. And Mr. Hawes only got here three weeks ago because that was the whole thing at the end. Is that like the real murderer tries to set up Hawes because the guy who who's died figured out that Hawes was the stealer, and so he the stealer. (laughs) Oh yeah, thief. thief. I mean, stealer could be the word for thief. It could be. It could I be. I was hoping you would let that go. It just came out. And I was like, well, I'm not going to. Okay, she's going to. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> You're not going to go with stealer. <laughs> <laughs> One who steals. Or thief is the word for that. So, yeah. So, it turns out he was the one that was embezzling from the collection plate or whatever. But I was like, he's only been there three weeks. So, it seemed like it'd be real obvious. Because for a while, they were suspecting the vicar. But I was like, 
but there was no stealing before Mr. Hawes came to town. He's only been in town three weeks. What? And there's only like apparently 30 people in this town. Um, right. So I thought that was funny because a lot of the spinsters are, I can't use that word. A lot of the women <laughs> are suspecting, or one of the women is suspecting the vicar. Biddy. But I liked Biddy. Biddy. Oh, no, well, like in all the other books, or in some of, I think some of the future books that I've read ahead of, of you know, with Miss Marple once, they say old pussy a lot, but in modern day language i can't really go around saying oh they're just old pussies it's just it's hard to you know in the wap era right (laughs) that's happened since we recorded that sure has phenomenon wise but yeah so i was just like how is it such a mystery that he was the one that was embezzling and was it him or the victor i was like he's only been here three weeks so i thought that was a little bit of a plot hole like i thought he should have been there three months at least Right. Like, so the- literally three weeks, like, that's kind of obvious. And there wasn't enough time to see a character change. Because right. they were talking about, like, his his sermons are like this, and this goes like that. In three weeks, you barely know a person. So, to me, that was like, well... But yeah, so the real killer tries to set up Hawes and poison him and make it look like he committed suicide because he felt so bad over, over his embezzling. Right. So... Uh, we didn't. Okay, so um, that we haven't even talked about all the characters yet. So um, we got Miss Marple. We got our narrator. We got the the dead guy. Why we should probably talk about why everybody hates him. He's rich. Okay. He's a church warden. They don't hate um, him for being rich. Uh, he's the local magistrate. He shouts a lot. He was yeah, mad- and he's very severe with his sentencing. He's very like, people need to just suffer. So he's so, like, yeah, he, he shows no mercy. And there's a conversation between him and the vicar about mercy and forgiveness. And So then, um, I, you know, so like Mr. Hawes doesn't like him because he's figured out that Hawes was stealing. His wife doesn't like him because she's young and attractive and he's old and Well, no, and whatever. not just that. They describe him as a... It kind of sounds like he's a crazy sociopath. Like they're they're like, you know, they're sort of like, why did his first wife leave, and that his current wife and Prothro, there's a, there's reference that between his daughter and his wife that like he's a deeply sick man, like kind of like a sociopath. Like I was like it that it went kind of dark, like behind closed oh, really? doors. Like not that he was just like boisterous or whatever, but it kind of went like ooh. Oh really? I don't re- remember that. Or but... or that, either that or I'm confusing them with another book. Okay, because because I've read ahead. It's been a few you know months since we last recorded, so I could be mixing it up. But, but I, I remember her that... being like, "I married him, and I didn't realize what kind of man he was." Oh, I think that because that might have been also why she was, because the vicar walks in on her and her lover, who we haven't described yet. He is. A young-ish man. I'm thinking he's in probably because it's 1930 and he fought in the World War One, so he might have been low 30s, young 30s, like maybe. Oh, that young. Okay. Um, and so they don't really say how old she is, but uh, how old Anne is. But I was thinking, if you were attractive painter who's in his 30s why the hell are you living in saint mary mead right like what brought him to saint mary mead that's a good question like 
Well, we know that he used to date Griselda, who's the vicar's wife, which we don't know till the end. Right. So that's her deep, dark secret, is that the vicar's wife, Griselda, who's younger than him. So I was trying to figure out the ages, because he keeps saying how much older than his wife he is. And I think that, like, he's 40s and she's 20s. Right, right. It's, I don't think it's quite 20 years. That's what he said. He's like, oh, I'm almost 20 years older than her. So, like, right. he's she's in her 20s and he's in his 40s and so she's he's always referring to himself as like your geriatric husband and always referring to the fact that she's not a very suitable wife for a vicar because she's she's young and playful and none of the stuffy things that the the, the stuffy old women of the town expect of her and so and she, as she, she likes to say shocking things to kind of bother them and yeah, and he talks about how his nephew, and we, we don't know why his nephew is living with him, but he talks about that his nephew is actually closer in age to his wife than he is. Yeah, and, that, and, and he's Dennis is the nephew, and he's the one for a while. I was like, Dennis did it. But, but it he turns didn't do it. It was just because just... that would have been a plot twist, and like that was like you know the one you wouldn't yeah. see coming. Yeah. So uh, And but... then there's a hilarious thing with their... Um, housemaid mary because she's so like when the vicar introduces her he's like she can't cook she can't clean she's not polite and the wife is like well if she could do any of those things she would leave us like we we need her to be rude and bad at cooking and all the things so that she'll stay here and griselda kind of prides herself on being terrible at housework so they have to have a maid but mary is terrible at what she does and so there's a lot of like kind of like there's jokes around that about Mary being terrible and serving them cold food or like one day she served oysters, but they didn't have anything to open the oysters with. <laughs> right. That one was hilarious. <laughs> but you know, it's interesting because going back to, um, uh, par- was it partners in crime or, uh, no, no, no. Uh, the first Tommy and Tumpets, uh, uh, I've already forgotten the name secret Ad- adversary. Remember how, um, the reason why Tuppence could pretend to be um, a housemaid is because she said, as the daughter of a vicar, we trained lots of housemaids. Um, and so I think that this is what, you know. And he did vicar- say that. He said she's, she's, she's working here in, in like, so yeah, sort of preparation for bigger and better things. So he did so sort guess- of imply that that's a cultural norm. Right, because the vicar doesn't probably make as much money as other people, but he probably has a fairly big house and household with the church and the, you know. And so probably there's a cultural thing that if you first want to get into service and you want to learn how to do it, you work for less money, but you work for the vicar. Right, right, right. That makes sense. So, yeah, so so that's it's just kind of funny because she's very surly and not particularly... And her, she was going out with, that's not what they say. They say walks out. Walks, with, walking out with is how they say going out with. With Bill Archer, who Colonel Prethero also just recently sentenced for poaching, which I, you know, killing animals outside of season or whatever. Um, and so he was sentenced to something for yeah, poaching. So, he, so he's one of the suspects because he threatened. Um, or Mary a real- is. Right. Yeah. So there's a rumor that that he'd been threatening because of that. Um, Let's see. And see, everybody has a reason. 
So the young daughter of Colonel Except Tucker, for the none of the spinsters do. You're right. None of the spinsters have. That would have been a good twist. Oh yeah, if it, it was, was one of them. Um, so his daughter wants to kill him. Oh, you talked about because money, but also because he's a jerk. Um, but we, yeah, um, his wife wants to kill him. Uh, the vicar wants to kill him because he is the church warden and he has a lot of money. So he bosses the vicar around. Um, the vicar's servant wants is wants to kill him because of her her bow. The cur- curate wants to kill him because he found out that he, the curate, steals. Um, his ex-wife. Right, because um, he won't let her. She came to town and went to see him privately and was like, hey, I'm dying. Can I see our daughter? I would like to spend some time with her before I die. And he was like, nah. Yeah. Least, yeah. <laughs> and so, and then- so she's got a reason. Then uh, that's, Lawrence, that's Mrs. Lestrange. Mrs. Lestrange. Um, Lawrence Redding wants to kill her because uh, kill him. I mean, because he's sleeping with the wife and she could get all the money. Um, and he does kill him. And, and he does. Um, let's see. And then, Oh, and then there's a whole thing with uh, Dr. Stone, Dr. Fake Stone. And Gladys Cram. Oh my gosh, yes! Slide so, plot. So a side plot is that there's this archaeologist in town who's like looking, who's digging up, I don't know, old stuff, and okay, his secretary. So the biddies are all talking about if he's sleeping with his secretary or not. And that's what right. they're mainly invested in. But turns out, Dr. Stone is fake because when Miss Marple's nephew comes, who is Miss Mr. Raymond West, who's an author. Right, and he just, he's he's... Mr. Big Shot, who lives in the big city. But he, they cross paths at the train station, and the vicar's like, oh yeah, you you saw Dr. Stone. He's like, that's not Dr. Stone, we're homies. That wasn't him at all. So he's an imposter, Dr. Stone. So whether or not he's sleeping with his secretary, he's not Dr. Stone at all, and he was actually there to steal the, the silver of Dead Dude, and Dead Dude had just arranged to have his estate valued so, um, it, he actually does have a great motive because I'm so distracted because usually <laughs> you guys listeners know that when Portia leaves the video, she tells you and me that she's leaving the video, even though this is an audio format. But this time, because I've teased her about it, she I got didn't. up, walked away and me. didn't give me the prompt and so i'm acting like this is fine it's an audio format i don't need cues about what's happening visually and i totally did because i'm just like things are changing there's an empty chair now i see her butt <laughs> and now she's back and i could i couldn't keep my train of thought i was trying to keep it going as if like i've been teasing her this whole time like you don't have to tell me you're going Portia. i can still hear you but Turns out she was right. I needed that. <laughs> I wondered what happened when I put my butt right in front of the camera. What would you... Yeah. I was trying to keep it together, especially because, you know, these days, you see, in, in my line of work, I see a lot of boobs and butts as um, I'm communicating <laughs> with, with the people in the, in the line of work that I do. And do okay, intel- you're going to have to explain that a little bit more because people are now going to be like, what kind okay, of work so, do you yeah, do So, yeah, so I, 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 uh, I work in telehealth in, in COVID times, and People's camera work tends to focus 
tends to put their, their they they put it right on their boobs as they're carrying their laptops around, <laughs> or if they're working. You know, I, I work with kids, so when the parents are are working with the kids, it's just mom butt. Mostly, I see mom butt, <laughs> and there's there's no homo in that. I'm just like I'm just like, ma'am, I can't see your child. <laughs> It's nothing sexy there. Just, I just want to clarify that because I, 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 I sound like I'm always trying to read gay things in, but not in that setting. I'm just like not in that setting. You just oh, want to see, see you can do your just. Job. Can I? Can I see the kid? Can I? Okay, just okay. That's fine. Or you know, when it's not boobs or butt, and in a non-sexy way, it's usually just ceiling. Like, well, that's the ceiling, and I'm imagining what your child is doing. <laughs> I gave myself the hiccups. What the heck? Okay. okay. Also, okay. a lot of my colleagues. I feel like the the boobs is more of my colleagues because like people like to carry their laptops around and they're always like, oh, "I'm just walking around here." And then just like, "Are you not aware that your boobs are on there?" Okay, that's fine. Oh, God. That was one of my things. So, uh, continuing our little tangent into our lives. So, I am a teacher. Um, and not the students, because the students don't like to put the cameras on, because high school. But when I do staff meetings with colleagues, and I am impressed with how many nostrils. Um, because, you know, they got on the meeting on their phone. Right. And they hold their phone, like, yeah, they hold their phone like they're talking on a phone. Right, they hold it up. like they're on speakerphone, so that you just get, like, chin and nostril. Just it's like, all just the nostrils. Turn, turn the camera off if you're going to get that angle. Like, Right. Oh, God. Which is, it, it's baffling to me when that happens, because in these times when I always have a video feedback of myself in most formats, I feel so vain because I'm always like, how do I look to this person? Like it, if I, you and I were hanging out in real life, I wouldn't have a mirror of myself in the corner, or, oh, God. you know? So the fact that I can see myself a little bit, I always feel kind of vain. Like, Oh, should I fix this lighting? Should I fix it? So the fact when people have zero consciousness of that and they're just like showing you nostrils, you're just like, how are we in such, di- such different universes that, <laughs> Well, I'm like, hey. oh, that hair is out of place. And you're like, here's my nostril. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> well, pro tip, I started, well, A, when I started doing my job, I bought myself a microphone, a circle light, like all of the things, because I want, wanted to have good quality as I was teaching. A better camera. All you the did things. give yourself the hiccups. I really did. <laughs> but um, I also, whenever I'm in the middle of a meeting or teaching, I hide, there's a box that you can just check to hide the picture of yourself. So I'm not looking at myself the whole time because I, find I just myself, learned that recently. And that's been very nice. Yeah. Because you, you find yourself, you're attracted to look at, at yourself for that whole reason of like, what do I look like is my hair? And it's crazy making because that's not how you have conversations. Right. You don't, people. yeah, you don't normally have a monitor. So it, it actually helps me so much because I'm not, I'm focused on what I'm doing, not on like, oh God, does my hair look like that? So, <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. All right. But we were, I have we were no idea what doc- we were talking about. Let's, we Dr. Got Stone about. or Dr. Fake Stone. So we have learned from this. Unfortunately, it does need to announce. <laughs> I'm just getting up. <laughs> and I was wrong for giving her a hard time about that. <laughs> See? Uh-huh. All right. So Dr. Stone turns out to be just a silver thief. So he's made copies 
of some very valuable silver pieces that the dead dude has. And his plan is to replace the real ones with these duplicates um, and then get out of town. But he hears that uh, Prethro has hired someone to come in and value the estate. So if there's counterfeits in there, they're going to find out. So he scrams out of town and his secretary that he may or may not be having a thing with. Turns out it seems like she's trying to, you know, be his wife, but nothing's actually going on there. Um, but he's, he scuttles out of town. He didn't actually kill him, but he did have a good motive for that reason because the, the valuation was about to happen. So, so there's I a minute where you think it's him. The secretary is one of the few people who doesn't have a motive. Because right, she, she doesn't, doesn't know that he's a fraud. Okay, the hiccups are kind of annoying, and all I have is wine. That's why I got up. <laughs> that might be the reason for the hiccups. Right, I should probably... <laughs> okay, I'm going to tell you now. I'm going to get up now to get myself a, a beverage that is not wine. To try to get myself out of the hiccups, because this is annoying since it's an audio recording and I'm hiccuping. Uh, have we introduced everybody? I think we have have except yeah, for i think the we detectives. have the, the major yeah so then yeah so there is this funny thing so i feel like in the prowl books like she has a certain relationship with prowl and the police and in this one the there's the constable and then the inspector comes and then there's the chief inspector that comes and they have various levels of competence and but the relationship inspector- Everybody, Slack. yeah. Um, vicar, uh, the vicar hates the inspector, and the inspector ignored Miss Marple and thinks she doesn't have anything valuable, right? And the vicar had something important to say because there was a whole thing where the clock was smashed and it showed the time of the murder. But the vicar keeps his clock fast because he runs late, which I understand. And so he kept trying to tell Inspector Slack that, and he's like, I'll ask for information when I want it. So there was this all like comedy of errors around that with mostly. Like Inspector Slack being an asshole, right? So, uh, and then what's the chief constable's name? Milchit or something? Yeah, a Milchit. Yeah, so he is more relatable and likable. Right, right. And um, this is the one where Miss Marple describes Inspector Slack as the guy at the shoe shop who's trying to shell- sell you a. Con- pair of shoes because they fit you and doesn't hasn't listened to the fact that you need a completely different kind of shoe <laughs> i didn't catch that one <laughs> um, yeah well okay. and, and but that, it's interesting i actually thought it was an interesting um commentary on the police because every time the vicar was having a conversation with inspector slack once they kind of warmed up to each other about who did it inspector slack actually didn't care who did it he was like doing the math of like, can I get a conviction for this person? And so, and the vicar kind of like, as the narrator to the, to the reader comments on that, he's like, he never seems to care if this person did it or that person did it. He's more like, can I get a conviction on this person? Can I get and I was like, very interesting in today's age of looking closely at the police and how it is more like about like, can I get the win here versus what's the truth? And I, I thought that was so very interesting. But yeah, because his perspective is sort of like, well, is this a story I can sell to a jury? And I wonder if part of the reason why the 
um, police are much more likely to ignore Miss Marple is because she's a woman. Because well, I they... think I think I think this is a nice demonstration in this book of one of my favorite concepts, which is both things can be true. <laughs> so yes, there's misogyny where people ignore women and most of the women in the story should be ignored. Like, there's so like all the, the, the four other, Oh, I guess the three other, anyway, the other older single women have too much time on their hands and are nosy and busybodies, and they should be ignored. And Miss Marple has good information. Right, right. Right. So it's like both things can be true where there's sexism, where they're just ignoring her because she's a busy old lady, but it's like three out of four dentists, <laughs> you know, like, it's like, right. you're like, you can see why batting average are just like, Oh God, what does she think? Like, why would we listen to this lady? So I, I kind of like it. Cause it's, it's not an easy sexism, you know, misogyny is wrong listen to right. women all these women have this great knowledge like no there's a lot of busybodies and this one is very smart and has good information and the vicar is always standing up for her like the narrator always tells the reader that we should believe her and it's like it's interesting because you know this is a, a woman author writing in a in the 1930s and she uses a male to tell us to trust this old woman and so we do right, right. that's true that's a very good point um, and just like she always is, like, I feel like she often uses a male narrator to teach us something, a lesson about misogyny, you know, like right, right. she, it's interesting how she kind of had that, you know, not social justice, but, you know, teaching the audience something through the plot, but also that it wasn't unrealistic that old ladies often just have shit to say that. <laughs> right. That you could ignore. Yeah, Totally. So we should probably talk about the the murder plot itself because it was actually ingenious. Okay, yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. So the the wife and lover Anne and Lawrence got discovered by the vicar, and they both have conversations with him. And with her, he's kind of like, you know, this is bad. You shouldn't do this. And um, she's like, oh, but we love each other. And uh, and. Then he talks to Lawrence and he doesn't say what he said. He just says, with a man, I could be more frank. Yeah. But he basically tells him, you should leave town. You're going to make her life harder. Right. And he then, does say that. He says, he says, you doing this to her, like, there's no good, there's no good ending to this for her. You're making her life harder. You think it's making it better, but it's actually making it harder. So you got to go. You basically got to leave town. So the next day, uh, Lawrence comes back to the vicar and says, okay, you're right. I'll, I'll leave. I'll say goodbye to her. So they time this out to the minute where they go. She leaves the house with her husband and purposely doesn't take anything, any bag with her. Right. She has no handbag, which for the era was very and it unusual. Turns out when Lawrence went to go tell the vicar that he was leaving, he actually put the gun in the vicar's study. So the whole reason for him going there was to leave the gun. And, and then, then she uh, walks, uh, finishes shopping with her husband, and walks by and talks to Miss Marple so that Miss Marple could see that she has no gun. 
So yeah, Miss Marple is sort of used as a tool in this because they know that she's nosy and they know that she notices everything. So they know that she's going to notice that she couldn't have had a gun because she's wearing these modern clothes, which are super slutty and can't hide a gun and no bag. So there's no way she could have had a gun. So that, she, and they know that the husband is going to meet with the vicar and that she is going to a cottage that's on the vicar's land on the vic- right on where the Mr. Loverman artist lives slash been. paints. Right. And so she's going to go meet him in the cottage. Um, but as she walks by the vicarage study and her husband is in there, she goes in, grabs the gun shoots him in the head drops the gun um and then she goes and meets her lover in the cottage and then miss marple when she does the whole reveal at the end she said she they know that i'm not going to leave until they come out of that cottage and she's very self-aware of how much they she she knows that she's into this stuff um, right. She knows she has a reputation for being nosy. And then they come back. So they out. use that effect. They know the fact that they're, she's going to notice that she didn't have a handbag and that, that she's going to know the exact time that Anne and Lawrence Lawrence come out of the cottage and walk out. But they and walk they, out in a, in a happy mood, talking and jovial. And then they run into Dr. Stone and Miss Cram, his secretary, or the fake Dr. Stone. And they chat for a while, and then Lawrence leaves and goes to the vicarage. And on purpose, he waits and waits until he sees that the vicar is coming back, and he was called away, so he missed his meeting with Colonel Prethero. And so he could see him coming. So he purposely goes to the vicarage. Oh, yeah, so there was a fake call about a dying parishioner, so that's why the vicar is gone when... when Prethero came to meet with him. So then Lawrence goes into the room and he knows that Prethero is already dead. Like it has been dead for half hour, 45 minutes already because he knows that Anne shot her. So he goes in, picks up the gun, turns the clock back to change the time to totally confuse people. Even though they know that he keeps the clock forward and then comes out and acts like he just, found the body and was super upset by it and stumbles away and the vicar's like what what right so basically and then he confesses and then she confesses and basically they tried to make it look like she was set up for it and that he thought she did it so he confessed and then she thought he did it so he confessed but really they both did it but because they had set up the evidence to look like a fake setup right and so it similar to Poirot's first story where two people took the blame when they thought the other one had done it. Um, but in that right. case, they were both innocent. Right, and this was, um, a f- this was a fake using of that for people who had done it to make it look like it was that. Actually, not Poirot's first story. It was the, uh, the one where Hastings found his true love. Oh, um, yeah, that, yeah. That was the one where they accused each other. In Poirot's first story, they murderers purposely tried to get the murder arrested first. Right. That's what I thought was interesting. Cause this was sort of a repeat of that. Let me get uh, arrested on the false evidence so that that can be proved wrong. So that and then sort of a double jeopardy, but right. English style. 
Right, right. And in this case, I don't even know. think they expected to go to trial. They expected to happen what did happen, which was right after they confessed, people were like, we don't believe you. But when you do that, people immediately go, oh, you must not have done it. You were only confessing because you loved, you know. Right. So, uh, and then he also set up a rock to come down and smash another rock to make a bang oh yeah there was this whole thing of what time did you hear the shot so because of all these busy buddies everyone hears things so if there no one heard the shot in the in the house but people heard a shot in the woods so it turns out they used a a boulder or large rock of some sort on a rope that was burning on a slow release fuse like uh wily coyote so that the rock would fall and hit this chemical Prickeric acid, yeah. There it is. And then And um, so that when it fell on the crystals, it would make a bang and then that would try to establish what time the shot was. So my cat just attacked me because I'm not doing it right. I don't know. She just scratched me because oh. I'm not doing I'm not doing it right. I must be moving my hands too much. <laughs> She's an old cat who now has toddlers in the house. She's grumpy. It happens. It's valid. So, um, and they set this thing to go off when Anne and Lawrence are in the cottage. So they have an alibi. Right. And they know Miss Marple will have seen that. So. So. uh, Right. So, so there's a fake shot in the woods and then they use a silencer for the actual shot. So then if someone thinks they hear a sneeze. Because I did not know 1930 silencers were that good that a shot would sound like a sneeze. But apparently the military industrial complex was thriving oh, right, right. by well, 1930. Yeah. I guess post-World War II. Yeah, we, yeah, World War I. Oh. World, World War II was right. Yeah. World War, right. <laughs> we're but not there yeah. yet. We're not there yet. Yeah, so um, silencers, yeah. So pre-World War II, they had silencers. Yep. That apparently made it sound like a shoop. I mean, I've seen, I've only seen silencers on TV. Yeah, but again, I thought those were like, I've only seen silencers like 1980s media and beyond. So I sort of assumed that was a modern thing, that it would be that good that it would actually silence enough to take, to go from a shot to a sneeze. Right. But yeah, so, so anyway, so there's no sound at the time of the actual shot. And there's just like random bang in the woods to to confuse the time of the murder. So they do I mean, it's a really intricate plot between changing the clock and her doing the shooting and him leaving. And changing the, the clock, knowing that they keep it fast, but like pretending that the murderer wouldn't have known that. So it'd be like a fake setup. Like it was it was very intricate. So intricate. But I mean, in a town like this where, you know, clearly Miss Marple has been watching uh Lawrence and Anne go into this cottage for weeks, right? So she knew they were jumping. So <laughs> I don't know why I went I went Yiddish. Who knows? I don't know why. <laughs> you have no you have no reason to go Yiddish. Jumping <laughs> is a great word. It's a great word. <laughs> so let's talk right. about Right. So we yeah, we so Miss Ms. Marple knew. So first of all, yeah, my question, I'm talking about some of the themes that we're talking about. So how does one have an affair in a village like this? Because Yeah, that seems intense. Like how do you how do you have an affair when there's old bored ladies everywhere and they don't have Netflix? 
Right. And they are, it's what's funny is they're all assuming that Miss Cram was sleeping with Dr. Stone because she was an unmarried, they're both unmarried and they're working together, which actually, you know, as somebody who has worked with lots of men, uh, I find kind of insulting, you know, like I was, I totally, um, was siding with Gazelda in this and she was like, why couldn't she just be a woman who has a job and she has a boss? And they right. were like, oh, you're so naive. And I was like, wait a minute, old ladies, like who are, ne- who are either widowed or never married. What the hell do you know? You know, so right. I was a little bit like um, frustrated with them on that one. Well, that, um, and that's the thing. That's the thing about misogyny is that like, it seemed like she couldn't win. Like there was no way she could just have that job and not be. Because, like, the better intention that they would give her was that she was trying to at least, like, you know, get him to marry her. But they were all kind of assuming, like, did they have adjoining rooms? Were there rooms on the same floor at the hotel or whatever? Like, everybody was super invested in whether, like, she was being slutty or not. Yeah. So, like, yeah. that A lot of stuff about class. So, like, I loved how Miss Hartnell, who was one of the biddies, talked about the poor like oh my god but then she was to help the poor and then would be angry because they weren't grateful (laughs) you know and um so there's a scene in unbreakable kimmy schmidt when um two of the rich white ladies are talking about gala season and someone and one of them is like did you hear did you know that poor people don't even do gala season and and it was sort of like they don't even bother why do they look so tired all the time then <laughs> like if they don't oh have to deal god. with gala season <laughs> oh my god like it reminded me of that like that entitled like i do galas to help the poor the poor don't even do galas <laughs> oh goodness like did not just say but that that sort of like removal from reality right, right. And, like being in that place of privilege where you can't imagine how they could be tired if they don't have to do gallows. Right. So and yeah, then, I thought that was w- very well portrayed. That sort of like, yes, I help the poor, but they're so ungrateful. You know, like, I, I thought that was very well portrayed. And I think having the vicar be the narrator where he's kind of in between, because he obviously is hanging out with upper class. Well, yeah, because not... the women refer to him as a gentleman, but one of them at least ref- can is suspecting him of theft and he comes off kind of middle class like he's sort of like why do we even have a maid mostly because my wife wants one because you know she considers herself a terrible housekeeper but he comes off very middle class and sort of like not of these women who think they're hoity-toity and not of the guy who was killed right right yeah Uh, there's definitely that that class of people also, who value their class a lot. The vicar comes off very middle class, but he, they, but the gentry consider him one of them. Right. Of. And the, right. And because there's definitely a conversation about how the servants are of a completely different class. Um, yeah. And so even him talks about the servants in a different way. Um, yeah. But then there's lettuce who spends most but of her time. Like- the vicar back to the classic i felt like when she talks about mary in a different way he's just sort of like she's very bad at this job can we fire her like he never right. says right maid servants are dumb or what 
I don't think he ever said anything classist. He was just sort of like, she is bad at this job. Can we fire her? And his wife is like, absolutely not. But he never <laughs> seemed like, you know how these women are. You know how these, you know, people of that class are. It seemed like he was just like, but she's terrible <laughs> at this well, job um, in particular. Well, so anyways, there was a- as a narrator, I didn't feel like he he reinforced the class stuff but we watched him observing the people around him doing but he and his wife really didn't do that right and Um, and the wife was so scared of losing her even though she was terrible well and that's the scene that i'm talking about that lettuce came and started criticizing her and then mary the servant and then mary was like well fine i'll leave you know and why lettuce came and gave a shit about how their maid did um she was who knows because lettuce no no that was all clever she got caught she was there to plant the earring so another subplot Mm. lettuce who was the step who was the daughter of the guy who dies stepdaughter of the murderess (laughs) that's an agatha christie word (laughs) murderess um so she's you know young adult and she kind of knows her stepmother did it and thinks that she did so she comes in and plants an earring in the or study she's just a teenager who hates her stepmom that could be awesome right it could be it could be that she knew or it could be that she just wants it to be true but either way she's trying to give evidence for it so she plants an earring of her stepmother in the study where the murder happened but she gets caught and that's why she goes into this whole rant about like well, Mary, I was looking for something and you don't even clean in here. Like that whole thing, pissing Mary off was a great way of distracting her from like, what the hell are you doing in this house when you don't belong here? I felt like that was all cover. That's true. You're so, I didn't even think about that. And like, it's easier to come off as like a classist elitist bitch than like, oh shit, I just got caught. Right. And then. uh... Yeah. So, and they they talk a lot about lettuce because basically lettuce is this like, comes Rich. off as an idiot like i have plans at four well it's 5 p.m oh well blah 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 like she's super frivolous and everything but but the vicar always tells the audience that it's an act right and then dennis the vicar's nephew clearly has a crush on her and i think i'm guessing he's 16 and she's 18 or whatever right he's definitely like has no chance with her but is totally infatuated with her and and is invited over for tennis and he goes but yeah he's part of the crew but he's a kid and she's like slightly older and she's into the painter who's into her stepmom who's a killer she's super rich so the very end you know because dennis kind of broods around is like i want to go make money in the city so that lettuce will like me basically and he's like yeah what he tells the figure i want to go into finance and the victor's like what? What do you even mean by that? He's like, I want to go into finance. He's like, oh, you just want to be rich now. Going into finance doesn't make you rich. Like, it's not that easy. But that's right. what a kid who's like, and I feel like that's not not different from now. Right. But it's like, yeah, I'm going to go into finance because I want to be a rich guy. Because <laughs> he wants he wants to be good enough to marry Lettuce. And Lettuce is like, oh, this kid. Yeah, the very end of the book, she comes and said, I'm sorry about Dennis. So she must have been like... She realized that she loved him because she's not dumb. Yeah, she was leading him along. Uh, so I also wrote, Miss Marple thinks everyone is full of crap, including her fancy nephew. But like everyone, including herself, she thinks everyone's full of crap. And Right, she calls out herself, she calls out her nephew, because her nephew basically writes these books and 
shades characters like herself and like the small town of St. Mary Mead as this like ponds, I think he called it. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was in a different, yeah. Was that this one? Yeah, it was in this one. I was just rereading okay. that part. So yeah, so like basically, and, and then she calls him out publicly like, well, yeah, just like you called it, like it's just like a pond. And he's like, wasn't expecting to, that she would catch that reference or to be called out that way. So basically, like, she knows, like, he's a successful author and he's basically ridiculing her lifestyle or whatever, but she's actually probably the smartest person in the room. Right. But right. she also so- is very self-depreciating. So she doesn't have the ego. And that's why I feel like she's such a, like, you know, if you yin and yang of, like, her and Poirot, whereas oh, he yeah. is, like... They both have the moment. Like she had the proud moment when she was like, I have been an imbecile, but she doesn't say it with a French accent. <laughs> She's like, Oh, I've been so dumb. It was very similar because it's like when she figures it out, it was like this proud moment of like, I have been the imbecile. <laughs> I apologize for my freak French on top of freak British accent. Um, but so I thought that was similar, but like her whole presentation is like, well, I'm so silly and I don't know how to say things. And I, I'm saying this very badly. Like her whole demeanor is self-depreciating so, while his whole demeanor is so egotistical. But in the end of the day, they're very similar characters where they both like, she knows she knows. Yeah. Like, yeah. and she's like, oh, I say things so badly, but she's like, I know what the fuck's going on. And she, <laughs> she knows it. Right. It's just about well, delivery. Well, and she comes across by the end where she was like, she, how does she know everything? Because the vicar starts to get creeped out. Like, how does she know so many things? And because at the very end, um, Griselda, the vicar's wife, is pregnant and she's like, but don't tell anyone. Don't tell Miss Marple. And Miss Marple knows. And he's like, what? You know, and then it's like, she uh the vicar's wife had bought a book about she bought a book like you know what to expect in the 1930s or <laughs> right and then and then Ms. Marple saw her yeah but it's like she but it's like somehow magically she knows everything which is why she creeps people out you know because she even though she everything. doesn't leave her house so like somehow she knows everything she does garden so this is my question how old is she because again she's in stories from now for the next 35 years i could look exactly but i think um but of course it'll be interesting to see if she gets less mobile right right. because like in this is she 65 and she goes until 75 85 90 you know like yeah it's a good question because the the one the last one with her let's see uh 76 so wow 46 years right so she was so if she was 65 in this one she'd be a hundred and no 110 that's pushing it but you know we're in a fictional world it's you know these aren't necessarily but this is the thing about her the the vicar calls himself elderly right and, and he's, he's supposed to be in his 40s right he's about to have a child right he's about to have a child he's in his 40s which is you know literally nowadays uh, 40s yeah. and new 20 Woo! <laughs> having children in your 40s yeah um but um you know so like i'm guessing 
I'm going to guess that she's, what if she's 50? Right. You know what I mean? Because in certain eras, without hair dye. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So, you know. Right. But also imagine that as an author, these don't have to be, like, the books can be set not in the year it was written. Right. So like this book, like all 40 years of her existence as a character could take place in the same year of Miss Marple's life. So imagine that, like they don't have to be contemporary to the year that they're written in. This is true. But I also think it goes back to like, um, but that happened with Prowo too, where Prowo too, where he, you know, was was elderly for 30 years. Right. And then Hastings was, like 35 but he acted like he was 25 or right. whatever so i still we'll come back to this when we have another problem but like she doesn't like relationships because like hastings got married for a second and then he like keeps leaving his wife to hang out with Prowl. and i'm like can't he have both like watson wasn't right. eventually didn't didn't watson get well, at least in the in the movie i'm confusing no, but he got married and then his wife died and he went back and hung out with Sherlock Holmes. But I'm just so. saying that, like, why can't your psychic have a spouse? And, like, that'd be a thing. Like, why does she have to be in the Argentine? Right. It's awkward. <laughs> don't they say it's the Argentine? Oh. Argentine? I don't know. I don't know. Um, okay. You have some interesting notes here. You said the young, attractive man was a bad guy. And I feel like you have some feelings about young, attractive men. And them being bad. As a lesbian, of course, I think all men are bad guys. <laughs> um, <laughs> Hashtag man hating. So um, now that we have fans, we could we could have people angrily tweet at us that just that uh, they knew it. That, Speaking of which, I had the gayest week at work. Two new gay co-workers. It was so exciting. That's what the gayest week of work is, is that you have two new gay co-workers? Well, the, from, it went from, our representation has increased, you know, so it used to be me and, and uh, what's his name, Robert, who works in the supply department, and now there's like two more, so we're like you doubled. doubled. <coughs> wow. Yeah, it's exciting. Well, congratulations. Um, so yeah, so I- what, was this, what was your thought about uh, young well, attractive man like, well i think that when you watch a lot of movies you don't want the young attractive person to be the bad guy right you root for them so and you know so i, Ooh, think that, I have a theme yes no finish your young attractive thing oh okay <laughs> well I, I just thought it was interesting because of course like how do you she did that in the second Praro Hastings one where the you know hottest young uh woman was the bad guy so maybe Agatha Christie just doesn't like the young attractive right (laughs) well it could be so my theme was should murderers kill themselves because you know we've been talking about how in previous books there's been sort of like well they're a murderer okay they died it's fine okay they you know killed themselves or got killed in the last minute like there's sort of like a oh good we don't have to have a trial thing but in this everybody thinks Haas did it 
and everybody thinks Haas committed suicide, even though um, the murderer actually drugged him. And so they're sort of like, should we even try to save him? Including the vicar being like, well, it's probably for the best. And then it turns out he didn't do it. So good thing you saved him. And then, and, and, the, and this police inspector is like, no, save him no matter what, even when he thinks he did it. And so I felt like that was growth as an author to be like, don't oh. just go with the death of the killer because what if he didn't really do it? Hashtag abolish the death pe- penalty. Like, like right. what if he was, it was just a murderer killing him and giving you a little bow, but also like even when the police inspector was like, make sure you save him he didn't say it's because i want to hang him he just said make sure that you save him he and and they said is it because you want to hang him he never replied to that and i thought it was very like save the dude we're gonna figure this out but i i thought it was growth to not just be like the killer died happy ending well and that brings up a character we haven't talked about yet dr haydock Mm. because he has a conversation with the vicar about guilt yeah he basically says years from now we're gonna look back and say we shouldn't have been convicting those people they were sick not sinful and fascinating right and dr haydock clearly um had a had a very strong moral like he was very protective of hawes because he had, um, I, I guess, narcolepsy, what we would call it. But I don't know what the sleeping sickness is. I don't know what it was. Um, but yeah, I don't know if that uh, encephalitis, whatever it was, lethargica is a, is a thing now times. Right. But he was definitely protective of him. And then did, he was like, we shouldn't even punish murderers and and. So he has a philosophical discussion with the vicar and the vicar was like, I can forgive murderers. And Haydock is like, no, no, no. They can't even control what they're doing. because Right. And, yeah, and the vicar was like, even from the beginning, actually, uh, according to Google, who is where you should get all of your medical information. Um, it's, st- it's still, it's still on the internet knowing the sleepy sickness. Okay. It's an atypical form of encephalitis, which I've never heard of, but apparently is still a thing. It's okay. on, it's on rarediseases.org, so this is definitely a thing. Okay. Fascinating. But yeah, so but yeah, so the vicar was like, lest we be judged, let's not judge. And the doctor is like, no, we shouldn't judge at all because there's medical reasons behind crime. So it does yeah. definitely seem like as an author, she's sort of like, it's not so simple kill all the killers right but then um they wanted to have haydock set up um the the killers so they could set a trap so they could actually get some proof and they were afraid that he would not try to help set him up because of those beliefs but then when he found out that it was the attractive man well was. and that he tried to set up Haas. like he basically tried to right. set up Haas, and he wasn't even worried about Haas dying but he was like Haas's family is going to live with this shame forever so that's what really pissed him off and convinced him to be like yeah i'm i'm bringing them down right so then he was like yeah we're going to punish them so he didn't think that there but was a medical you're right reason. there was much more of an ethical discussion 
And like what are I, I even felt like because the different characters had different opinions on it, it wasn't even like the, the, the book drew a conclusion. It was sort of like a grand rounds where we're sort of like you you know, this is the ethical, the religious perspective, like forgiveness, and then the medical perspective, like there's medical reasons behind crime. And then it, it was interesting because it, it, it brought up the ethical question without giving it a, a tidy answer. Right. Which right. made it seem really sophisticated as a book at the end. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of like versus like the old lady murderer caught on fire, which is, you know, the last thing we read. <laughs> like right. she caught on yeah. fire and then we put her out, but she still died of shock. And good thing. Oh good. Right. <laughs> like <laughs> right. right. The whole the murderer is now dead well done easy peasy right and so it's it was a big jump from that it was a lot more like how do we see why do people commit crimes and then in the end of the day the person who did commit the crime was sort of painted as a sociopath it was very law and order this is a bad bad charming man sociopath type and they they kind of painted him like he had dated the vicar's wife and he like basically could win over any woman is how they painted him he was a bad man man and so they didn't say if he hanged or not, but they did sort of say, like, that's a real bad guy. But there are nuances where, like, Haas was steely, but, you know. Well, and I guess, you know, like, the fact that um, Lawrence killed his his lover's husband, but then he also tried to kill Haas. Right, and that's way worse from the audience or audience from the, you know it's a reader's perspective you're like well no one like that old guy but Haas seemed like just a flawed individual right and now we're just picking on yeah so it's interesting to think about that Miss Marple became so popular after this um and her as a person and we'll definitely get into more of her And I books. did want to point out that the, the narrator makes sure to say when the crime was all solved and it was all in the papers that there was no mention of Miss Marple's contribution because <laughs> she's the one that figures it all out. Like we don't say that. It, it, we, you and I didn't go through that but like she's the one that figures it all out and tells the police and, and you know solves it all but there was no mention of it and that she wouldn't have wanted that. She wouldn't have right. wanted the attention. So Again, like she sort of painted as this very not egocentric, not seeking attention, just wants to solve the problem right. sort of thing. Right. So such a contrast from Praro. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, what uh, was your thought here? You have this thing in the outline about training the new servant, weird stuff around that. Well, no, no. That was, we already talked about how the vicar trains a new servant and then there's this weird cultural thing about oh, that oh yeah yeah, so, yeah that's just that was just yeah <laughs> yeah because why is the vicarage the training of the servants but it but it, i it was just now when i was talking about it with you that i was like oh yeah tuppets talked about that so i forgot I about think, that too um this one you know i think she's growing as a person who's thinking about crime she's growing as an author um the crime itself was very complicated but also very simple because you know wife sleeps with young guy right. young guy who kills, ended up right? the the villain ended up being like well yeah that's who should have done it but it was a very 
complex plot for them to get away with it. And without Miss Marple, they would have. And so there was a lot of fun stuff. And then, but I does feel like this is the plot for every Jessica Fletcher uh, murder she wrote. Um, because, and I mentioned that, you know, Jessica Fletcher was definitely a Miss Marple stand-in because also unmarried woman who, you know, has nephews and that's, you know, yeah. <laughs> in a small town. But, and to give um, context, um, Fresh and I grew up in the 80s and um, there wasn't a lot of entertainment. <laughs> so we had like the Cosby <laughs> Show, Golden Girls, and Murder, She Wrote. And our mother was super into Murder, She Wrote. And so like Sunday night was like 60 minutes and then Murder, She Wrote. And, totally you know, there was, was Alf. Like we didn't have a lot. You know, it was rough. It was rough in the 80s. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> Alf so bad but anyway but, but yeah so we so we watched like on a weekly basis we would watch an old lady solve a crime and so it's very and familiar it, and in this often the person who and they were in a small in, town and the person who died was usually somebody that everybody hated right so everyone has a motive somehow right, so this they're this, in, they're in a small town and people keep dying book is the plot for like at least half of the murder she wrote tv shows right somebody that everybody hated everybody wanted to kill them and spinster lady solves the crime you know like (laughs) this is the the plot because you know it's boring because when you watch a uh uh, you know a murder mystery where it's not everyone someone that everybody hated you know, then it could be more complicated, but also sadder. I think this is why the murder she wrote she chose this one because no one actually was sad about the death right. You you don't brother. you don't feel bad that this person died, right? So anyway, but yeah, so definitely this is this is the germ that creates the, <laughs> not the germ the uh, germinates. <laughs> this is the seed that like, germinates. It's not a virus. Too soon. Too soon. Not a germ. <laughs> Let's go with it's let's a, go with seed. It's a seed that germinates what becomes murder she wrote. Because yeah, everybody one person dies that everybody hates. Everybody wanted to kill them. You have to go through each one of them one by one. And you're the old lady who just Oh my gosh, is Murder She Wrote available on any streaming platform? I know Golden Girls is now. I wonder if Murder She Wrote oh, is. Oh, it's on a channel. Uh <laughs> Because <laughs> I still stream, well, I stream cable, but I I see it on the as a choice, but we should definitely find it. Um, but yeah, so this then... is, I mean, in terms of uh, our Agatha Christie perspective, I think we've now shifted from her. Okay, I've I've delved into this Praro thing. I've done Tommy and Tuppence, and this is her first time experimenting with the character of Miss Marple. Who, like you said, is she more of a stand-in for Agatha Christie as a as a character? Although, if she's writing this in her, was she in her forties? She was forty. She was forty, like and 40. she's writing this as an older lady, so maybe she's fifty or sixty. Yeah, I definitely think she thought that was Miss Marple was older than her. Right, but she, yeah, but I think that um, actually, I suppose that the vicar was a stand-in for her for this one. Right, 40s, right, around the same age, and right. So, so you know, we we started Miss Marple. So our intro, where we mentioned Miss Marple, finally is you know. I had no idea it took so long to to get to Miss Marple as a character. Yeah, and 
Uh, she wrote a lot more of these than she did Tommy and Tuppence. So unfortunately, because I love Tommy and Tuppence. I mean, I like Miss Marple, but they actually have a relationship. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one series where she doesn't hate relationships. Right, right. Exactly. Although that was the other thing with this. We didn't talk about this. Like the big happy ending actually made sense in this one. Oh, that's true. It was so cute. Okay, so like Portia likes to talk about how there's like big love happy endings and some of them that don't make sense. But in this one, but okay, so the in the whole subplot of this is that the vicar who's a narrator, his wife is younger, and he sort of like he he literally tells us that he proposed to her after knowing her for like twenty four hours or forty eight hours, something ridiculous. And something the whole time he kind of sounds disdainful, like I shouldn't have gotten married. Vicar shouldn't be married. She's ridiculous. She's not act like a vicar's wife. Like so, it's it, there's all this tension around their relationship, and turns out that she that the the murderer was her ex. And the vicar didn't know that. And so he'd been painting her because he's a painter and she'd been a little bit sneaking around. And I think sort of seeking his attention. I don't think she was wanted to do anything with him, but I think she wanted his attention. The, the, the wife wanted the painter's attention. And so she wasn't getting it because he's sleeping with, you know, the wife of the rich guy. But and so she was kind of disappointed by that, which she owns openly to the vicar. So there's all this subplot about that. But then by the end of the book, she says that she's expecting and that she bought a book on, you know, being a wife and having a baby and keeping the house and all those things, which is why Mrs. Marple knows all these things. Um, but it's cute because it's it actually it's the exact same ending of the end of the last Tommy and Tuppence, right? Which is like. We're having a baby. This is all over. <laughs> Big family happy ending. Right. But it was it was cute. And it was funny because in the same way that they did with Tommy and Tuppence, where he sort of says, like, it's not like she's giving up her womanhood. It's not like she's giving up everything for me. But, like, you know, like, it does sort of thing. Like, now it's transition to family time. But it doesn't feel like, and I'm deleting her as a person now, it feels like, moving to the next stage of life for all of them. Right, right. And so that that yeah. was the cute, big, ha happy ending for this I one. Agree. I agree. And the fact that their relationship has some tension, but is overall a good one for the narrator, I, I did oh, like that. Oh, oh, I did not write down the quote. But from the beginning, the wife says something like, you know, because basically, from the beginning, he says how you know, a vicar's wife should be like this and she's not like any of those things. And she says to him, she tells him why she picked him. She said, I could have had this guy, I could have had that guy, I could have had all these great, you know, great guys, but I picked you. And he's like, yeah, I did wonder why you did. And she said, because for anyone else, I would have been a trophy, but you can't stand the fact that you love me. And I love that. I love the fact that, like, I'm I'm your torture, you know? And I was right. like, that's I... awesome, you know, because she's a beautiful young woman and she could have had all these guys that would have been like, this is my trophy. But this highest man is like, I do not like the fact that I love this woman. And that's the guy she picked. And that's that was very early in the book that she set that up. So their love and... story is very adorable because he, and that's how he, he tells us as the audience. He's like, I don't, she's ridiculous. Why am I doing this? <laughs> Right, because she's fun, and she's young, and she's flighty, and she, he's like, a vicar's wife should be pious, and should be calming, and should be soothing, 
And she's none of those things. Yeah. She ain't none of them things. But I feel like um, we are, we're pretty good. Yeah, I think we, we did a good job of talking about this. And we're back. We're, um, we're the back. audience doesn't know we were gone because we edit slowly. So the pause between recording and publishing won't be as long as the, you right, know. Right. But we're but, back. Uh, we're back. And now that it's fall, winter, and it's COVID times, and we have Okay, to you're the time. expert. What's the next book? Ooh, ooh, ooh. The next book is... Okay, all. Hang on. Um, you guys should see the look on her face. She's so excited right now. She's like got the <laughs> most excited Agatha Christie Stan face okay, on right now. Um, oh yeah, because I started reading ahead and then. Me too. I've been uh, reading ahead because it's been months and you won't record with me. Peril at Ed House. Ooh. Okay. So it's a it's a Praro. Back to Praro, so that'll be interesting to see our take on Praro after meeting Miss Marple. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, peril at end house. Okay. So, okay. So that'll be our next one. All right. Well, um, so uh, thank you very much, our audience of I don't know. We might even have ten listeners. <laughs> so. <laughs>